0: Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to LipsandAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Like we always do with this time, I go for mine. I get
1: to shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. got go for mine what's up everybody welcome to another episode of turn on the jets live i'm your host steven zance talking about my co-host steven russo very very special guest. we have the lead editor of turn on the jets co-host of draft season at fuego jets takes on twitter our youngest member of turn on the jets james (laughs) coons what's up james what's up guys how's it going it's going well what about you steven it's good man
2: good it was uh good to get a victory on sunday that was a fun one uh exactly what we wanted so uh, i can't wait to talk about it man
1: yeah no i know and uh james was able to watch the game courtesy of me because i lent him my youtube tv account and he lives in chicago for school right now and you know he he's very appreciative of that so you're welcome james
3: (laughs) Uh, thank you thank you
1: (laughs) anyway so, yeah, this was, like, just one of the most fun games I can remember in a long time. Steve and I were just talking before the show, just one of probably one of my favorite games since, like, 9 10 But, like, the best offense I've seen from, like, an overall performance standpoint since probably like 2015, the Fitz year when we, he was, like, 31 uh, passing touchdowns. But it's just crazy to think that we all were criticizing Mike LaFleur, saying that, like, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's in over his head. That little hit piece came out by Tony Pauline last week. And then he goes in the box, backup quarterback. We have John Beck on, on the silent. Apparently he's part of the staff for the rest of the year. It's like, how did Mike White do this? I'm just curious what you guys think, what you saw. So, James, I'll kick it off with you. Like, how did Mike White find a way to look like the best Jets quarterback since Vinny Testaverde?
3: Yeah, well, I was as surprised as everybody else. But I think looking back, it was mainly the fact that he got the ball out really quick. I actually posted on Twitter this great clip of him in the press conference. Answering a question by a uh, by friend of TOJ, friend of TOJ Live, DJ Enemy, where he asked basically, you know, how were you able to get the ball out so quick? And he basically talked about how one of the things that they harped on was when you're facing two deep zone coverage, like they're giving you these holes as they expand into their coverage. And so they were just trying to replace those defenders as they were expanding out. And I think that was honestly the main thing. Like he just put the ball in the hands of you know the best playmakers on the team. And, uh, and then he made big time throws when it counted. So I think that's kind of the main thing I saw.
2: Yeah, definitely. So there's, there's a lot to unpack here, right? So uh, clearly Mike White took what was there. He took what the defense gave to him. He got the, And that's what was so exciting about this game was the fact that not only did, did the Jets do it with a backup quarterback when probably a lot of us were bracing ourselves for kind of Luke Falk 2.0, so we had no idea what to expect but they did it on the backs of the young guys that we're extremely excited about as the core and foundational pieces for this team. So he got the ball to Michael Carter, who looked incredibly impressive. He got the ball to Ty Johnson, who looked equally as impressive. Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, finally getting involved with six catches, a couple other jet sweeps, like stuff like that. So Mike White executing this offense, taking what was given to him. And the Jets showing this like resiliency that we're just not used to. I mean, how many times would we see, you know, Okay, the Jets come out, they score a touchdown on the first drive, and then next thing you know, Mike White throwing back-to-back tip, you know, tip ball interceptions. It's like okay, any other backup quarterback would, you know, we're expecting them to fold, but not him. Keeps pressing the ball, man. Keeps moving it, like bounces back. Then you get, you know, Jameson Crowder fumbles stuff like that. It 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 just was so un-Jets like, and so much fun in so many ways that. I, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say. I was really at a loss for words. It was, uh, it was a great time on Sunday. I'm just so happy that some of these bounces that never go the Jets way finally did this team showed resiliency. They, they showed resolve, man. They bounced back and they, they made it happen. I think any Jets fan, if you asked them in an honest moment would have been happy if that game turned out 38, 34 bangles, just because they got to see some exciting football. The fact that they came away with a W just a cherry on top. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, no, totally. So one thing I want to say before we keep going, this about getting a, like, you know, finally getting a bounce our way. I just want to tell everyone who's complaining about that personal foul call on that. Basically, Ty Johnson basically gave us the game. You know what? It was a bad call. We all know it. Every Jets fan knows it. But I can't tell you how many times in my life as a Jets fan. I'm almost 30 years old that 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 play has happened against them or something like that's happened against them. A million times, especially against New England, especially against Tom Brady. There's only one other instance where I think they got the benefit of the doubt. It was actually two years ago when they played the Dolphins and they had that pass interference mm-hmm. call that was challenged or reviewed in the last two minutes, and it was bad. But honestly, so what? We got one be- call that was really egregious. It wasn't a personal foul. It is what it is. I just wanted to say that because I've seen people, especially Cousin Sal, the Bill Simmons podcast, was complaining that like it's the only reason the Jets won It's why all, everyone's suicide pool broke. I'm like, you know what? The Jets earned that game. They were the better team on the field. It's not even a question when you actually watch the game.
2: Oh, totally agree. The Jets were due. They never get calls like that. And I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a bang, bang play. So, you know, the ref making that call could go one way or the other and it went against Cincinnati. So yeah, it sealed the deal, but you know, it's, it's one of those things. It was a toss up. It was a coin flip. It was, you know, the Jets were due. It was time for them to get one.
1: Yeah. So James, quick question here. What do you think about LaFleur actually going to the box? It seems like he was more comfortable with that when he was in San Francisco, but like, I never really understood the dynamic. I didn't play football growing up, but like what you, what advantage do you think he has basically what i've heard from people is you could see the field better especially it's almost like watching the film because you see the formations in a different way than when you're on the sideline like i know you played football in high school like what do you think he's seeing that basically was allowing him to execute the game plan in a better way
3: and really see the mismatches and maybe make some adjustments on the fly yeah well i mean i think you're 100% right it it is the perspective from above that makes it easier to see things Like, I mean, I think calling... I can only imagine that, like, calling plays from the sideline is kind of like trying to solve a puzzle if, like, you couldn't even look at it from above. Like, you were just looking from the side. Everything would look the same. Depth perception is off. You can't really tell what's going on. And because you're so close to the actual game, your, like, field of vision is so narrow that you can't really take in a lot of what's going on at the same time. So I think the main benefit is just you can actually see, like, okay they played like the same coverage on like first and second down. I know next series that we need to have like beaters for that coverage for when we get the ball. So like, I think that's the main advantage. And I think also like just kind of like having that perspective is like how you would game plan and like you would game plan watching the all 22. So it's a lot easier to make in-game decisions when your view is basically like the all 22.
2: Yeah, that's, yes. that,
3: that's a great point.
2: Steven, yeah, Steven no, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I don't, you know, I only know what I've been told. And and from the sounds of it and from what I've been hearing, you know, it's an offensive coordinator's job to kind of stay two to three steps ahead, two to three plays ahead. So I think it's much easier from up in the booth. And I think this kind of, you know, we can go into the John Beck hiring and now, okay, having that trusted ear down on the sidelines for um, the QBs, you know, if and when Zach Wilson comes back, um, you know, I think that obviously, uh, lends itself well to Michael floor being back up in the booth. And, and clearly, I mean, I don't think we can attribute everything that happened, you know, good on Sunday to Michael floor being up in the booth, but clearly it was a welcome change of pace and good things happened because he was up there. So, um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a great move. It was a great move on his part. Uh, it's good for Mike white for saying, listen, man, you do you, and I don't, I don't need you down here and good for Robert solitude to come out and say, yeah, the uh, Floor's going to stay up in the booth the rest of the way.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, listen, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It is working. Mm-hmm. And I think what people were really losing sight of with LaFleur and being on the sideline initially is like, it's almost like he was being treated as Zach Wilson's personal QB coach, not like he's the offensive coordinator. Like, yes, the offensive coordinator is heavily responsible for quarterbacks' development and making sure that they they're performing up to par. But you have to remember he's still coaching Michael Carter. He's still coaching Jamison Crowder. He's coaching the offensive lineman. It's all one unit. So it's like, I think that they were just overthinking it, that he needs to be in Zach's ear 24-7. He's got to talk to all the guys. It's mm-hmm. not just one guy. And I think everyone just thinks when, you know, a young quarterback is performing, oh, it's the offensive coordinator. Yes, they're going, you know, dialing the buttons. But at the same time, they, I mean, they do have, like, an offensive staff that helps Zach. So, I, I think it was just a good way for them to, you know, really self-evaluate what they were doing. And they realized after that New England game, you know, we got to change something because we came out flat last week. We want to start fresh, and I love that they actually elected to receive, even though we always say anyone who elects to receive is like psychotic. But because of you know the streak of not scoring any points in the first quarter this entire season, starting out hot like tomorrow, if they get if they win the coin toss, coin toss, I said coin (laughs) toss, they have to receive again. You want to start out hot you want to make sure that the offense is in rhythm because it's just it worked like you got to do what's working and then you know just get the ball into the running backs hands like i like that they were more aggressive they weren't playing like conservatively like they actually were allowing mike white to make throws you would think he'd have like the training wheels like mac jones but like they let him do his thing it was awesome
2: yeah i think uh steven you're bringing up some good points i think just the fact that we're talking about stuff like this is showing just growth and the difference between this regime from prior regimes, which is good, and showing that they have the ability to be self-reflective. Here, you know, we all probably, one way, shape, or form, went into the bye week saying that this was that bye week was going to tell a lot about Salah and his staff and and the growth from you know year to year and what we're expecting and the changes in the the regimes and stuff like that. And it wasn't the result that we wanted, but also it tells you a lot coming back from an ass whooping, you know, up in New England, 54 to 13, how they responded with a backup quarterback and the things that they did. So, yes, you know, to, to your point, man, not uh, or choosing to receive uh, is a change. Getting booth, uh, I'm sorry, the floor up in the booth. Is a change that's showing being reflective, getting John Beck there and saying, listen, this is the guy that that our rookie quarterback in the future of the franchise trust. Why not just bring him in here? That's showing growth instead of pulling Jeremy Bates out of the mountains to come coach offense or, you know, Dal and, and Adam Gase saying, listen, we don't need a quarterback. We got this like this is showing growth. It's showing their ability to look in the mirror and, and do things a different way. And I think of the many things that we wanted to see this season, that's probably a big one uh, that we wanted to see out of this regime.
1: Yeah. And one thing, you know, it's actually nice about this whole thing and just like showing that they're willing to adapt instead of just being sticking to their guns and thinking that whatever they initially thought is going to work. It actually goes to what Sal was saying early when they first hired him when he was speaking to the media about healthy disagreement and not, you know, just like everyone just yesing each other. It seems like he's being challenged and probably Lafleur was like, we need to shake things up. We have to think about things. Basically, they had a two week bye week because I think the New England game counted as a bye because they just didn't show up for that game at all. So, I mean, listen. I mean, they obviously have a, a short turnaround. You never know what's going to happen, but like, we just awesome. And I want to give a shout out to the offensive line. I know we've had our fair criticism. I know that we all hate GVR, but we made an we acquired the guy from Kansas City, the guy from Canada, I can't remember his name uh, Duvernay or whatever his name, but mm-hmm. we're playing well. And you have to remember, George Fant left in the middle of the game and Adoga actually held his own. We're down to our third left tackle. That's crazy. And they actually, I think Mike White was sacked once all day you got to yeah. give credit words, it's due. I think McGovern's <laughs> played a lot better. I know we like to rag on him. He's not ideal. GVR was fine. He gets a week off from, you know, everyone saying how much he sucks. But you got to give it to Morgan Moses. He's been awesome. And Elijah Tucker, if he was, you know, any other position, people we be talking about him as, like, one of the best players, the best rookies in the NFL. He's tremendous. Mm-hmm. Like, he is mauling people. Like, I cannot wait to see him and Becton, you know, on the left side together whenever Makai comes back. I'm super excited. James, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the offensive line? Because obviously it was a punching bag like the first like month of the season.
3: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, some of those games in the first part of the season, I was like, are we sure that we hired like the 30-year vet offensive line coach from the 49ers who's like super experienced in this stuff? Because it doesn't look like it. Um, but I think like I'm, I'm impressed by how it's going. I think AVT is killing it. Um, You know, before the season, I thought that he was going to be the best rookie in hindsight after the season, Um, better than Zach, better than Elijah. And it seems like the trajectory is kind of heading that way, Um, which shouldn't be surprising given his billing as the top interior lineman in the class. Um, But overall, I think like the offensive line is super interesting because it's one of those areas where it was like the foundational day one mission statement of Joe Douglas to improve it. And so you kind of wonder, with two first-round picks, two other second-round top 45 picks, are the Jets going to invest more um, on top of the two first-round picks and tons of free agent money that they've already done in offensive line?
2: I think it would be smart to. I mean, I, I I think they have to. I think you, you have to uh... – invest in interior O-line because, you know, Greg Van Roten. yes, he played better than normal, but that's a low bar to clear, Um, you know, in this in this past week's game. But you have to invest again in interior. So, uh and there's no guarantee that Morgan Moses is coming back either. So that's a question mark, uh, you know, at the right tackle spot. Um, And, you know, looking objectively, you can't say that the left tackle spot is solidified either. I mean, Mekhi Becton, for as good as we think he can be, has been nothing but dinged up in his year and a half here. So that's also a question mark. So I think AVT is a foundational piece. I think he's someone you can rely on. Connor McGovern's still a question mark. So for the future, yeah, James. I mean, you know, you're you're on uh, on draft season. You know better than than we would. But I would bank on two out of those four picks at least being on the offensive line to solidify that young core and young group um, moving forward. But for this season alone, I think we've seen, with the exception of the Wingland game, steady improvement from the you know awful uh, game that was in Carolina week one, Um, which is good. I think they're starting to get more push in the run game. They're clearly protecting the quarterbacks a little bit better outside of that second New England game. They protected Mike White. Great. That was also complimentary of him, you know, getting the ball out quickly. Um, But yeah, I think they gave up two sacks, one of which was a Sam Darnold special uh, Zance, which I know you love where he just ran out of bounds on his own instead of throwing it away. The other one was, I think, you know, him in the red zone, he tried to climb the pocket and, uh, and Trey Henderson got a sack. Um, you know, that was kind of, it was blocked well by Adoga, but he got a sack. So, you know, two sacks against a, a Bengals defense, that one was self-inflicted, like you can't really knock them for that. So it's, it's good. And now getting uh tardy from uh, Kansas city only bolsters the depth. If he can challenge or push or even replace GVR, I think that's a win, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think you've seen steady improvement since that week one, uh bad performance against Carolina.
1: Yeah, it's, it's only gotten better. And I think it's going to continue to trend that way because you know, they never played together. You know, they barely played in the preseason, especially because Vera Tucker, I think, missed the entire preseason. So, you know, it's it's a work in progress, but it's definitely trending in the right direction. So I'm curious, you know, for you, James, because obviously for anyone who does know, J- James hosts another podcast on our feed draft season, just evaluating all the prospects that, the, that our group of guys think would be great for the Jets and really just talking about who they like in the draft in general. So you did a lot of work, I remember, on the on the running backs. So you have seen Michael Carter way before he was a jet yesterday. I mean, I said yesterday, Sunday was his best game in the NFL. He was literally incredible. 172 all purpose yards. It's like, are you seeing like what you thought he could be come to light? Or is he even surpassing those expectations?
3: He is surpassing those expectations. I think I was going to bring this up when Stephen R. Mentioned him in, in the first thing he said tonight. Um, I think I was a little bit too low on Michael Carter because um, when I was watching some of the stuff that he was doing this past week, I saw a little bit of Austin Eckler, and like I think that upside is super exciting, especially when we have him on a four-year, like probably four-five million dollar deal. So it's like one and you know a little bit per year. Like I think Michael Carter, what, what has surprised me is like I feel like he's a little bit more slippery and has better contact balance than i remembered him having in college like in college he good vision he had great agility those were mainly his calling cards but i didn't think that he would have as like there was this one play in the game where he gets the ball i think it was like a handoff it's to the left side like on opponent's territory and like he kind of spin moves dodges somebody like really improbably and like gets maybe like seven more yards than he should have and i'm like Damn, I did not expect that when I was watching Michael Carter at UNC. And so I think I was off on him in terms of the evaluation. He's doing a lot better than I expected him to, and I couldn't be happier to be wrong.
1: Real, to <laughs> me, it's really just he's got to work on pass protection. He does everything else really well. He catches the ball. He's got good vision. You know, He makes people miss. He's strong for someone his size. And what's crazy is you know, he was the 1B to Javante Williams, who I know was your favorite guy coming out he's been better than Javante so far. I know it's only half of an NFL season, but like, he's been impressive. Like he's pulling away with the job and like Ty Johnson solid Coleman is a vet, but he's mainly being used for pass protection. And who, who knows, he may be phased out of the rotation now because Michael P Ryan is back, but like, you gotta be really happy to see Michael Carter. I mean, like he's, he's delivering and it's, it's tough because you know, an offensive line is usually what's going to dictate the running back's ability to, you know, make plays. And ours has definitely been up and down for sure. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions to the rule, like a Derek Henry can run behind any offensive line and make plays, but he's been awesome. And it's really good to see that Joe Douglas had a nice hit in the fourth round.
2: Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, I want to touch on Michael Carter a little bit. So um, James, I I think, I think both of you guys are right, but my, I like the Austin Eckler comp too, by the way. I went back a little bit. I'm not sure if this is before your times or not. James is a Jets fan here, but I kind of equated him a little bit to Leon Washington. Um, and and really the reason, well, first of all, they're fourth round picks from an ACC school, but, um, the other thing is, is, you know, Leon Washington was always good at getting every yard that was there. And then some, so he always got all available yards. He was clearly a two, you know, a dual threat back. Um, one that could run one that could obviously catch the ball. I see the same thing out of Michael Carter. The only thing that I think is different is just really the situation. I think Michael Carter is going to be asked to kind of carry the load with Ty Johnson. as a complimentary back, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of both of them. Uh, I think Ty Johnson now is, is kind of coming into his own. He's clearly, uh, cleared up some of the problems he had with pass catching from early in the season. Um, Hopefully kind of clearing up some of the things that he had with pass blocking. Uh, but I like the one, two punch there. It's uh, they're, they're different backs. Um, you know, they both have some, some giddy up to them, which I like, but Ty Johnson's got more of that. Uh, you know, he'll run you over and, and really, you know, drop his shoulder and get into you. But I like what I'm seeing out of both of them. And I think that came to light uh, quite a bit on Sunday.
3: Yeah, for sure. I was also just going to add like, I think one of the really underrated like subplots of the rest of the season is which young players on the roster are going to show the front office that the front office doesn't need to spend a top three-round pick on their position. And I think with the Jets running backs, like I don't think a top two-round pick was ever a serious discussion for this draft, but I do think that there was the possibility that the Jets could take somebody who might really compete with Michael Carter to be that one a back. And I think the way Michael Carter is playing, he's only going to get better. And I don't think that we're going to need to spend a a pick on running back this year, probably until like day three, fifth round, maybe sixth round, and just get a guy who kind of compliments what Michael Carter does. I think that's kind of what Michael, the sort of the impact that he's had on the roster.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And, Personally, I would never use a first-round pick on a running back in this NFL. It's just build the offensive line, and you can have a productive running back. I mean, I, mean, I think Ty Johnson and him are definitely locked to be back next year. P. Ryan Coleman, probably not. I would say that they could add someone in free agency. Instead of doing that, maybe someone like Marlon Mack, who I believe is a free agent because I know he was in trade rumors because he's really just buried behind Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. He would be somebody that would be interesting because – he does add, you know, this more of like a bruiser ability that, you know, Ty Johnson sort of has, I would say Carter's definitely more shifty and elusive. I think Connor made a comparison to him that he has Darren Sproles like ability, which if you, we have someone who can play like Darren Sproles, it's gonna be a lot of fun because he made a lot of plays in his NFL career, especially for being an undersized back. But Yeah. I mean, it's, the early returns have been really good with him. So I'm excited, but we should move to Elijah because Elijah has literally been the one of the biggest topics, topics of conversation with this team because the lack of usage in the personnel. We finally stopped throwing the ball to tight ends because our tight ends stink. But shout out Tyler Croft. You know, he, he did catch a touchdown and he was productive in his two targets, so I'll give him that. And he's obviously significant, significantly better than um, Ryan Griffin and now no longer Dan Brown. But Elijah really came into his own. And the thing is about Elijah, and I've mentioned this to people, and I think Stephen and I were talking about this, if he doesn't make that tackle on the interception, we probably lose the game. It's, it's crazy how one play could define this game, but it's the extra effort, it's playing hard every until the whistle. They didn't score in that, that red zone possession. Quinton Williams had that fourth down sack, which was awesome. So it's like not only was he great just in, in the passing game and he had that one end around, that play matters. Like, I remember a similar play happened, James, I don't know if you were following the team at this point. <laughs> Geno Smith's rookie year. They played the Buccaneers. And there was a long play. I don't remember. I think it might have been Vincent Jackson, RIP, had a long play that got into Jets' territory. And DeMario Davis, a young DeMario Davis, made the game-saving tackle. Basically, they held them to a field goal instead of a touchdown. And that's why the Jets won the game. Sometimes <laughs> it comes down to that. So you got to give Elijah a lot of credit <clears throat> for just having the heads up
0: Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads, go to lips Now that's L I B S Y N ads.com.
2: Totally agree. Game saving tackle. And, and honestly the hustle and you, you know, similar to, you know, not as good, but similar to the uh, DK Metcalf, um, you know, running down Buddha Baker and, and give props to Mims too. Cause he ran them down as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, you could argue that changed the course of the game early on. If that goes back for six, um, we could be talking about a different outcome at this point. Definitely. But- If I were to talk a little bit more just about Elijah and his involvement in the offense, I think that this was obviously his most impactful game. I think even, you know, anyone that listens to, you know, TOJ Badlands, you know, Joe has been saying this through and through the opportunities have been there. Um, And even on times where he hasn't made plays like the Carolina game, I think we all could agree that he probably should have made that catch, but other times they've thrown deep to him and they've gotten, you know, DPI calls, which have led to, uh, you know, positive plays or touchdowns points. Um, this was one where his impact was really made. I mean, six for 67 in the air, he made tough catches across the middle too. Um, there was the one where Mike, Mike White rolled out left. Threw back across his body a little bit right, and Elijah Moore with a guy bearing down on him made a tough catch in the middle. And let's not forget too that I mean he he had a uh, what would have been a game breaking play if Mike White had hit him. There was a holding penalty on Connor McGovern, but that's one where I mean he had the, the corner beat by ten yards there for an open post touchdown. That so you're starting to see the involvement more. I don't know how much the Corey Davis injury. Contributed to LaFleur shaking up uh, kind of the rotational schemes and what he was doing there. But I have to say that I liked it. The mix of players that I saw out there, I think, was much better than what we've seen in the first few games. Um, so you got to, I, I just, I love Elijah Moore. I think we're only going to see more and more of this as the season rolls on. So good for him.
1: Yeah. Corey Davis Ewing theory potential. You know, the receivers finally play really good and catch the ball when he's not playing. So. I like Corey. I'm just messing around with that. <laughs> um, but you know, what's just crazy to me. And a lot of people were saying this, like coming out of the New England game, CJ Mosley matters by a lot of points. Like I don't, care. like, obviously, you know, it's not going to make a 30 point difference on the scoreboard. Like if we're going to get our ass beat, we're going to get our ass beat. And the defense just can't stop anybody, but it's more, it's beyond that. He is the leader. He calls the plays. He gets everyone set and where they need to be. And that made all the difference. He just, You the defense looked like completely different. And the Bagels offense has been tearing people apart. I mean, Jamar Chase is running away with rookie of the year. I know, I think he caught a touchdown, but like he didn't really do anything. And he dropped the play. And you got to give Bryce Hall and you got to give Michael Carter and you got to give um Eccles a lot of credit. They did a great job on those receivers. I know T Higgins made some plays. Granted, that was not a catch. And that was that was the one, that's the one blunder the team had all of a sudden that Sal did not challenge that play. But he gets a pass. They won the game. And the rest of the team was really great other than that. But it was tremendous. I thought they, these guys were going to run circles around this young secondary. And what makes me excited about it is they're all either rookies or second-year players with the exception of Marcus May. And it's like they're going to get better. Like this could end up being like a very good secondary in like two years. Like they're already showing like potential now and they're probably going to add more players maybe if like – the because you know, I think a slot guy could definitely be – Interchangeable, I know Brian Pohl was really solid, but gidry has been just as good. Like, he's been really solid. And, like, I'm just excited to see what this defense can be, you know, in year two of the scheme. And the guy's just getting another, you know, seven, eight games under their reps.
3: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I'm pretty shocked that they haven't gotten exposed yet. Um, like, to be honest – I mean, I think the Panthers game was probably the most exposed that they got because there were several like 20 to 30 yard plays that um, the Panthers hung up on the, those DBs. But I think I I kind of expect that to change. Like the rational part of me says Brandon Eckles is not like a starting NFL caliber corner, but the first, what, seven or eight weeks of the season have shown that like he hasn't been getting picked on. So like, I don't really know how to reconcile those things. And at the same time, like, I do think that corner is a really important position and that the Jets do need to add a cornerback with one of their top picks, not necessarily first round, but definitely one of their top four picks, in my opinion, especially if they're going to be running. So like the new solid scheme isn't just cover three, but it's also a lot of quarters. And literally like the, if you were taking a class on like quarters 101, like coverage, one of the first things they would teach you is that the weakness of quarters is that the cornerbacks near the sidelines are on basically an island one-on-one with the boundary receivers and that there isn't help for them in quarters. And so you can't have corners who are unreliable. And so like as much as Brandon Eccles is showing out and playing well in that CB2 spot, like the rational part of me says, let's, let's draft a reputable corner who we know is going to play at a, an NFL average CB2 level, if not higher.
2: Yeah. I'd I'd agree. I think, um, you know, history has taught us as Jets fans that you can't take these uh, rolls of the dice that kind of come up in your favor, and and you know they don't really pass the smell test, but they they maybe play uh, over what expectations are. You can't really rely on them. So if you you know kind of stock the pond a little bit as you as you move forward, so that way you give yourself some options. I think that'd be you know the smarter thing. Uh, I think all of us probably went into this season saying, you know what, if we come away with Bryce Hall looking like a solid number two corner, then that's a win. Every game he plays, he's looking more and more like a, like CB one. And I, I'm really enjoying watching him play. Um, Steven, you started this part of the conversation talking about CJ Mosley. I mean, you, no one can overstate how important he is to this defense. He is I'm playing on a whole other level right now. And he has been this entire season and it's incredible to watch him play on Sunday. And I tweeted it out. He was out for blood and, and I love watching it. it. Like there was one time where I was on a third and long and they, they hit a screen to P Ryan, and CJ Mosley went to hit him and, and missed Cause he got brought down early and you could tell how pissed he was that he didn't get to lay him out, which was just great. I just love seeing it. You can't overestimate how important CJ is to this defense. The one thing I will say that, and I don't know if I'm the only one that's seeing this, but I want to get your guys' takes on this. Ashton Davis doesn't look that good to me. I feel like what a lot of uh, a lot of what was talked up about him was his speed, and I'm not really seeing it. Granted, I don't think he's getting like exposed or anything, but am I the only one seeing that? Am I crazy for seeing that, or is that something that is legitimately there? I'll let James go first.
3: <laughs> um. So I'm kind of an Ashton homer. I'm kind of an Ashton fan, but I think what you point out, Steven is kind of the difference or or kind of the distinction that play speed is not the same as just like raw speed, that there's an element of play speed being like how fast you are, but also how fast you can recognize things with your eyes. And I think kind of that latter element is what Ashton struggles with. You know, it's why he got burned last year with Tyree kill. And I think it was something you saw in college and it's tough to like prognosticate on that because I mean you don't know if that's ever going to come to be honest like it just takes reps and, and if improvement comes it comes if it doesn't it doesn't um but I think it's at least serviceable which is kind of a win for the draft class in my opinion
1: yeah okay. I, I agree I mean he's been okay at best I mean he's not awful like we've seen way worse back there I mean like Whenever I think of bad secondaries, I think of the 2014 Jets because they literally got burned and everyone was just atrocious. So he's been okay. I mean, I get what you're, I see what you're saying, though, Steven. Like, I just think that, you know, he hasn't been great. And it seems like the guys who were filling in for him beforehand, like Colbert and uh, I guess Wilson, like they were be- they were better. <laughs>
2: like, mm-hmm.
1: it's not really – like I think Joe Douglas is like you have to play him because I need to show that he's like somewhat competent. But it, he's, it, yeah. He's One thing I'll say about him, he didn't start really playing football till he was like, you know, like late high school, college. So it's almost like he's still kind of learning the game and he's not – he can't rely on his athleticism. Like he was used to being – when he was at Cal, it was like he was either the best or second best athlete on the field pretty much every time he played. Now everyone's as good as him and probably better at this point. So I think that that's what's been the adjustment for him. And obviously being hurt as long as he was, like he's still getting his, you know, his legs – running and everything, because I think it's, it's tough when you just kind of come back after missing so much time just do the whole offseason, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think personally, I probably had higher expectations for him than, than most just coming into this year. And I think that probably was contingent upon uh, LaMarcus Joyner being there and, you know, Robert Sala and being able to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, Olbrick and Sala being able to kind of use Ashton uh, Davis as like a Swiss Army knife and use his versatility, you know, to his strengths. Um, but like even, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but even the, you know, the touchdown of Joe Mixon on the the left side on Sunday, like that's a tough play to make, but he just looks slow trying to make it and got beat. And that's just, I'm kind of seeing that more and more. And I'm just wondering if, if, you know, maybe my expectations were a little too high or if maybe what my eyes are telling me is, is correct. That's fair. That's very fair. All right, James.
1: So Obviously, as I teased before, you host draft season, you know, with Dalvin, Meeks. Actually, sorry, Dalvin doesn't even do it anymore. I think about last season.
3: Retired, tired, Meigs. the elder statesman. Yeah, oh, the elder
1: man. statesman, the old moderator, but with Michael Meegan, Dylan Bryce, and Joe Bellick. Um, so I want you to give us a little preview. There's only been one episode. He returned last week. Who are your three favorite prospects that you would love for the Jets to get? And if you need a second, we could talk about other things, but I'm sure you're looking into this stuff.
3: No, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So, I think anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that my favorite prospect is Andrew Booth, who's the cornerback from Clemson. Um, The way I always paint the picture with him is if you just imagine a corner with the ball skills of any top wide receiver prospect, that's Andrew Booth. Couple that with like, 95th plus percentile athleticism in every major category. And that's the type of player he is um, right now. I would say he's kind of like a consensus top 10 pick, you know, between picks five and 10. Um, and I really love him, especially for this Jets scheme where they're playing a lot of off coverage in cover three and also cover four. Um, now the real question is like, obviously, is he realistic? Are we going to pick a corner top 10? Not to have a thing, but I would say he's one of my favorite prospects. Aside from that, I really like Garrett Wilson, who's the wide receiver from Ohio State. Everybody knows about Chris Olave. Garrett Wilson is the one who has been playing since he was a freshman and is now a true junior. Um, and I think he is a lot higher of an upside than Chris Olave. Olave is very refined, and Olave is fast, but Garrett Wilson is fast and twitchy and has great hands. And I think for him, the, the arrow is pointing up. Um and I would love to see him on the Jets. Him and Elijah Moore would be like unstoppable. And then I'm trying to think of who a third one would be. Um, let me table that one and get back to you guys.
2: <laughs> James, so in your expert opinion, I think the, the popular guy is the, uh, the center from Iowa there, Linderbaum, I want to say. Is, I mean, would he be your third? Is, is there? I, let me ask this question, I guess. if the Jets, If the Jets have two picks in the top 10 or 12, is there any way that Linderbaum gets past Joe Douglas at one of those picks?
1: I hope so. I don't want to take a center
3: that high. Yeah, I think the answer is yes um, because of positional value. Um, it's tough because, honestly, the, the returns on first-round centers have been very inconsistent. Last year, Caesar <laughs> Ruiz, is not playing great. The year before, Garrett Bradbury. He is definitely not justifying a first round pick. But I asked Joe Bellick, who's our kind of resident offensive line guy on the pod, you know, what makes Tyler different than Garrett Bradbury, who was a first round pick just two years ago? And Joe basically says that Tyler has all the athleticism that Garrett had, but he can actually handle the one on ones, which was what Garrett was kind of struggling with with his anger. And so Honestly, I do think there is a big chance that like we would not take a center in the top 12. I think if we were more in like the 15, 16 range, it would be a lot more realistic of a possibility.
2: Okay. Well, maybe, maybe Trigger Joe moves back and takes his boy.
3: Maybe. <laughs> he might.
1: I mean, I'm down with that. If they move back and did it, I'm fine with them. You get extra assets. Um, but one thing we didn't actually talk about, and I wanted to talk about this just before we do our you know, keys to the game and you know what our game picks are is healing call caught that pass. I don't care what anyone says. That just needs to be stated. That was a catch. Like, that was insane. One of the best catches I've ever seen. I don't care that it didn't count. Like, T Higgins, his thing counted, but ours didn't. Like, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Like, come on.
2: It was the best non catch I've ever seen. Um, And I'll expand on that a little bit, but I I opened up and talked about, uh, I opened up with talking about the resiliency of this team, but that's just another example, man. Like, that, uh, an overturn like that going against the Jets, uh, a typical Jets team would fold. And this team came back and hit it in the same corner as a Braxton Berrios. So kudos to them, man. I mean, I loved how they they bounced back all game after stuff like that, which is great to see. I felt bad for Braxton because early in the season, he
1: was getting a lot of targets. Everyone's like, why do we keep throwing him the ball? It's not his fault. He was making plays. <laughs> like, good for him. But yeah. yeah, no, that was a great thing. So, all right, now it's keys to the game. At least you he's know, got
3: Sofia Culpa.
1: <laughs> exactly. For him in that regard. Um, so now we have do keys to the game. So each of you, I want you to pick like what's your one key to the game that you think the Jets can like, what they need to do in order to win the game. And then we'll do score predictions. So I start with Steven. So what's your key to the game and how the Jets can go into Indianapolis on a Thursday night short week after a big high and win this game? What
2: is it? For Mike White to play the exact same way that he did against Cincinnati. Come on. (laughs) No, I mean, okay, so I'm not going to say he's going to throw for 405 yards again and three touchdowns, but get the ball out quick hit the checkdowns, get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. That's going to be the way that he wins. I We haven't seen him throw the ball down the field. I think he's got some zip on his passes. I think what we saw, you know, New England, I don't think he's got the deep ball uh, really that Zach Wilson has. I mean, not many people do, but um, I think that's going to be the way they win this game is, is it's going to be offense and it's going to have to be, Mike White making those checkdowns again, making those quick reads and getting the ball out of his hands and to his playmakers in a in a quick fashion um, to keep that Colts D line off of him.
1: Okay, that's fair. James, what about you? What's your key to the game? How can the Jets go into Indianapolis and steal this game?
3: So I think my key to the game is Mike White throwing the ball deep. And the reason that's my key to the game is because, like, literally anybody who talks about the Colts defense will say, It's the Tampa two, cover two, Matt Eberflus defense. And like with that, you know that they're going to be covering up all of those checkdowns and all of those short routes that we were punishing the Bengals with. And so I think what I'm looking for is, can Mike White connect on a deep ball or two and force the Colts to respect the deep threat, which will open up everything else underneath? So that's what I'm looking at.
1: All right. Good for that. So I'm going to go opposite. I'm going to go defensive side of the ball here. Just make Carson Wentz uncomfortable, whether you're sacking him, whether you're hurrying him, whether you're pressuring him, doesn't matter when he's uncomfortable. He makes mistakes. I mean, he threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen this past week. And he's done it a lot of times, you know, earlier this year and even his time in Philadelphia. So if you get him out of his comfort zone, the defense can pounce, get some turnovers. Why not? I mean, Colts have a good defense. They have Jonathan Taylor, who's a really strong running back. He's really coming to his own in year two in the NFL. And, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. has been really good, too. I, I was a big fan of him last year. I wanted the Jets to take him with the Denzel Mims pick, but obviously he was off the board by the time the Jets were on the clock. But I think this is a winnable game. The Colts are a very Jacqueline High team. Like the first three weeks, they were awful. Then they showed some life. And you just really don't know what you're going to get out of them because Carson Wentz is so up and down. He can look really good and really strong at times. Like, you know, 2017, he, he was the MVP in the NFL before he got hurt. But then there's times when he's, like, in Philly, he's just making these throws. You're like, why is he doing that? So we're going to transition to game picks, so score predictions. So I'll start first because I, I went last. So I think the Jets lose. I know. You're like, how could you do that after the, you know, biggest game we've had in a while? But I think it's just – I, that was a little bit of a mirage. I don't think they're able to do that again. That's just not realistic. And the Colts have a very good defense. You know, Darius Leonard one of the best defensive players in the NFL. And they got some really strong guys, Forrest Buckner. But I think the Jets are going to make this interesting. I think the line should tell you everything you need to know. It's like 10 and a half. It keeps fluctuating between 10 and a half and 11. I think the Jets cover. I think it's going to be entertaining. We're not going to be like, eh, you know, this game sucks. I think it's going to be like 23-17 Colts. They cover the 10 and a half, but it'll be fun. We'll be in it the whole time. But I think Mike White's just not going to be able to do what he did last week. But I could be wrong because I didn't think he'd do anything this past game. So I'm going to throw it to James. What's your game pick?
3: Yeah, so I also have the Colts. Um, my score is 27-16, so three field goals for us. And um, I, I think my like very niche prediction for the game is that There's going to be one play where Mike White tries to check it down to Michael Carter, Darius Leonard, like contests it. It gets tipped up and it's a pick six. That's my prediction for for the game. So put in your like 20,000 to one props on that one right now.
1: See that guy who hit that crazy prop bet that Mike White would lead. the NFL? (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Like a thousand dollars. And what do you mean? Like a hundred and like 26,000 or something like that. Good for him. All right, Steven. It's up to you. Maybe some optimism over here. Let's hear yeah. You
2: know, I'm the I'm the forever optimist, and there's a huge part of me that wants to pick the Jets to win this game. I really do think it's winnable. I think this is absolutely a it game is. they can steal. Um, you know, like you said, the Colts are a Jack on high team, man. So if they come out and and if the Jets can get after Carson Wentz and, and force him into a couple turnovers, you know, another monkey off the Jets' back is finally getting a, uh, an interception too with uh, with Shaq Lawson coming up with that one in the fourth <laughs> quarter. Um, but honestly, I see this going in the Colts' favor as well. Uh, I think Mike White. He, there's no way he's gonna match what he did last week, but I think he looks serviceable. I think he manages the offense well. I think he looks, uh, you know, looks okay. Um, ultimately, the Jets lose here, 27-21.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be close. It's gonna be entertaining. It's just it's always hard to, on a Thursday to win on the road. It just is. I know the Packers yeah. did it last week, but when you have Aaron Rodgers, it's a lot different than when you have Mike White. And you know there's not much practice, so it's they're gonna you know it's gonna be a different type of game plan because it's a quick turnaround. But it'll it'll be entertaining. We won't be shutting it off at halftime. Uh, well, this leads me to you know what we're doing t- tomorrow, or if you're listening to the show on Thursday, we have our first watch party for Badlands and turn on the Jets in quite some time. Obviously, COVID had held that back a little bit. But for anyone who doesn't know, it's at the Shepherd Knucklehead. There's $48 open bar, which is from eight to 11. So that's when you should arrive a little bit before it's going to be fun. I'm going to be there. Joe and Connor are going to be there. We're going to get Will Parkinson. We've are got Michael Megan. I think that's all of our resident TOJ people. I know James would be here if he was in New York, which he's in Chicago right now. Same thing with Steven, if he didn't live upstate, but it's going to be a great time. I, I've never been to this bar, but I've heard best wings in Hoboken, which is definitely something you want to do when you're, you know, going to the bar to watch football but I'm super excited. It's going to be fun, whether they win or lose, you know, have some drinks, talk Jets. It'll be great. Um, and obviously, like we always say, if you don't subscribe to our YouTube channel, please do so. Make sure that you subscribe to the TOJ pod on Apple, Spotify, or Google play. You get our show. You get Will's show. You get James' show draft season. I don't get to say that all the time because we haven't had a draft season guy in a while. Um, and also make sure to follow James on Twitter at Fuego Jets Takes. I'll tell you this, they are some Fuego Jets Takes because – James was, like, the first person, like, probably early last year, maybe even, like, training camp. It's like, Sam Darnold kind of sucks. So he was that guy. He was. I got to give it to him, James. James, feel free to take a victory lap. You can maybe have, like, a time stamp <laughs> here because you were that guy. And we, you were just, like, you didn't have, like, a bias because you started following the team at a different point than everybody else. You weren't burned as much. You're just like, yeah, this guy isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Got to give you your credit, you know, with that. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned before, make sure that you um, j- subscribe to Badlands on Patreon. You know, best premium Jets content you're going to get. I know Connor's All-22 just came out. I know there'll be a post-game reaction pod probably on Friday, Friday afternoon, because obviously, you know, they're going to be pretty drunk and everything. But it's, you know, it's just great stuff. You're going to get great content every week. Um, and then lastly, and certainly not least, if you haven't used the promo code at TapRM to get, you know, $50 off your first order of $100 worth of local breweries, please do that. It's awesome. I know Steven's going to do it. James, maybe if he was of age, would do it. <laughs> Just kidding, James. I know. <laughs> Just age a little bit, but yeah, no, it's great stuff. And really appreciate everybody tuning in and, you know, let's go jets. Hopefully, you know, we're talking about a wind and we're probably going to do a different day of the week next week because you know, it's a different type of schedule this week. So everyone enjoy and have a great week.